A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Hover, providing domain names for your ideas and emails for your domain name. We use Hover. You should use them too. You get 10% off of your first purchase if you go to Hover now. Use the offer code MANSBRIDGE. Really? <laughs> <laughs> you approved that. Stephen Marsh. Jesse Brown. Explainer of Canada to Americans in the New Yorker. Cansplainer. Cansplainer. Yeah. Welcome back. Pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about the Tragically Hip. Great. And we're going to talk about the Rob Ford crack video. Blast from the past. Good to have you back. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Damian Walsh, Martin Scherer, Christiana Lopson, Steve Krecklow, Bailey Greenspawn, Patrick Pittman, Jarrett Weinroch, and Fraser Robinson. Fraser, why did you decide to be awesome? Because living abroad, uh, I get a lot of general Canadian headlines, but yours is the only show that really digs beneath them and gives me something that I really want to listen to. This episode is also brought to you by Hover.com, the company that we use for our domain and for our email hosting. Stephen, you're a freelance writer. Do you have like a vanity portfolio type website? A vanity portfolio type website? All right, it's like, not about vanity. I have a website. There's a very alluring photograph of you on it. I, I Yeah, everyone keeps telling me to change that photograph. I'm just too lazy to do it. They make it really easy to direct your URL to your website, which is like a surprisingly technical, difficult thing to do elsewhere where, you know, you got to go through your DNS records and enter in all this technical data. This is really simple, whether you're using Squarespace or like a hundred other places, including Jimbo, Weebly, Verb, Yola, Duda, and other random sounds. All of those are compatible with Hover. 
You can choose a .com, but of course you can also choose a .mom, a .tube, or a .pizza. Are people really putting in .pizza at the end of things? If somebody wants to go and register CanadaLand.pizza, I mean, we will send you something. Hover does good stuff. Plus they support and love this podcast. And if you use the promo code MANSBRIDGE, for some reason, you'll get 10% off of your first purchase with Hover and you'll be showing your support for CanadaLand. So thank you, Hover. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. So, the Tragically Hip, you were there at the penultimate yes, I saw this. No, I was at this Sunday show, the last show in Toronto. So there were two more. There was one in Hamilton, and, there, and then there was the Kingston show. So it was the last Toronto mega show. And it was amazing. It was totally amazing. I sort of clued into it later when it became beyond the tour, right. th- that big night. I'm assuming you were always too cool for the Tragically Hip, right? You assuming correctly. Oh, really? You were a big hip fan? I don't know if I was a big, I, 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 my first job in radio when I was 16 was at Q107, which Toronto listeners will know as, uh, at the time, Toronto's best classic rock. I don't know. Yeah. In any event, it's just like, it's on steady rotation. But that was like during the 90s, like that's when Fully Completely came out. That's when- uh, Road Apples came out. Yeah, a little bit before my, but you know, they're an excellent band yeah. if you're into that sort of thing. But you know, like it was so much a part of the staple of the CanCon. It was just like those yeah. songs are on rotation. I haven't paid attention to them in years. And then Sunday night happened. Yeah, and it was just unbelievably moving. I mean, it was genuinely moving. I have to be honest, before I actually watched the live stream, I was having my usual antisocial impulses of pushing back against this growing, overwhelming undeniable hype machine and I, w- I was listening to rich turfry doing the like the pre-show on, on cbc radio yeah. and then uh you know and then there were kind of a couple weeks of stuff cbc was putting up beforehand and there is some stuff to deal with but i think you kind of have to talk first about just 
the show itself was like I, I have never experienced something like that in Canadian mass culture. Yeah, because you don't watch sports. I mean, the only thing yeah, that, right. because the only thing that came close was the uh, was the gold medal game, the Sydney Crosby Golden Goal. That was the same sense of national. Everyone in Canada watching the same thing, feeling the same thing. Okay, a third of the country, which is still quite impressive, but it's not everyone. No, but, it's not everyone, but it's still enormous. To have one third of Canadians watching a band, yeah, incredible. The athletic aspect was there, and just that you were very aware that this guy was fighting and struggling. Yeah, I mean, some people have objected to me saying that we were watching him die but i don't really think there's any other way that you can see it like you're just seeing this guy dealing with death right in front of you and it's like i don't think there are many spectacles like it you know the one actual spectacle like to use my phd for the incredibly rare occasions that i do it use your phd steven is that John Donne, the English poet, gave this sermon called Death's Duel, where he got up and gave this great sermon and died at the end of it. Uh-huh. And they carried him off. Yeah. And this sermon, the experience of watching somebody talking about death while dying, I'm talking about it now. Like, it had a resonance of 400 years, right? And it had that kind of feeling. Like, you know, I think with a lot of pop culture spectacles, it's all show and it's all silly and it's all nothingness, right? And then here you have you're confronting the real you're confronting something really happening i mean when he was screaming during what was it grace two that he was screaming at yeah like it was just so moving i mean it's hard to find the words it was very powerful it was very intimate you're watching a dying man scream very we watched him cry we also watched him in, in moments of frailty and weakness flubbing some lyrics here and there yeah but what i ultimately saw and what removed me from whatever cynicism i had about yeah the fanfare surrounding it and and the kind of pageantry it was triumphant i mean yeah, it was it was I mean, absolutely you know, it was like grace in the terms of like graceful no it was like a state of grace and you know what was amazing about it is that it was a state of grace achieved through work right like through going out and performing songs like yeah not through some kind of like being or some kind of like identity or some kind of like positioning of himself but through the actual act of making music publicly while in the state yeah and then there was it was transactional we needed to all be there and and then i'm watching the live stream and then i hear you know we turn it down for a second and i hear from my neighbors and from down the street and everyone is watching the same thing and this strange thing where he's before strangers in a way yes but it was a giant fuck you to death i think it was a triumphant moment for art and for the human spirit like it really was i've never seen anything like it yeah and i had all of the the feelings yeah and yet here comes uh, the but (laughs) what i have a problem with was uh what did we hear again and again this is the band that defined Canada. Yeah. This is the band that was quintessentially Canadian. No band united Canada like the Tragically Hip. This is Canada's band, the most Canadian band, et cetera, et cetera, ad nauseum, right? And everybody who I heard in the pre-show that Turf Fry was like, going all these famous people, what do you think of the hip? And it was like, Getty Lee, Mike Myers, Rick Mercer. We can actually say some definite things about who the hip is actually for and about. Well, look, right? Come on. Who listens to the hip? What do you mean who listens to the hip? Do people under 35 listen, like, percentage-wise of the hips? I don't know. They don't. 
Well, maybe. I mean, maybe it was a generational thing, but I think there is some bleed over. I mean, a third of Canada watched it, so that's pretty good. I mean, it took on a momentum and a life of its own, so my parents watched it who've never it, like, it bought a hip album. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I caught some tweets online You're right from people. that for people like us, where the albums come out when we're just starting to get laid, like this music obviously means a lot more than it means to people that it came for later or people who are older. But that doesn't mean it can't mean anything to them. There's senior citizens who love the hip. There are kids who love the hip. But in terms of where their audience lies and who we saw in that audience, you are talking about primarily the majority. This is a band for people kind of over 30, 35, under 55, male over female slant. And when you say they're quintessentially Canadian, we are referring to the fact that there is a poetry and there's references to small town Ontario, to the prairies. So I have like No, I don't think that's it at all. That I, has a lot to do no, with I it. No, I think it's really more simply that they didn't make it in America. And then that's why, like, when you go to the hip concerts, you see these flags coming out. Now, like, if you look at Joni Mitchell lyrics or Leonard Why does Cone, it have to be in, in, in this negative contrast to, because, why does America have anything to do with it? Because as Northrop Fry said, like, a, a Canadian is an American who rejected the revolution. <laughs> and when that's when what, did you do that? I never did that. Well, you do it all the time. <laughs> Like, you do it all the time. Like, you know, so it's the same, like, of course, Canada is inherently built up in some kind of rejection. I will also say this. First of all, there's the subject matter. So there are these Canadian songs like Courage, which has a Hugh McLennan paragraph as a lyric, right? Like 50 Mission Cap, 100th Meridian, Wheat Kings, really, really Canadian stuff. Now, I don't think that would matter. But then there's the other thing, like what I was trying to capture in this piece that I wrote was that like... Him crossing the country while dying is, in fact, deeply, deeply Canadian. And it's actually plugged into, like, Terry Fox, especially. It plugs into the Great March West, and it plugs into John Franklin. And, you know, it plugs into uh, Susanna Moody, who oh, said, it's, like, it's, I, I planted, Stephen, it's I planted wonderful. my son. Everyone should read your piece. I planted it's a my very, son like a flag. It's a great right? thesis. I, I pl- the, the son who dies in the country. Yeah. This is very, very Big, Canadian. Big, bold Canadian themes. I'm with you. I don't, I'm not disputing that. What I'm saying is that my young cousin. He's such a news guy. You my, just want the facts. <laughs> I don't want to speak for anybody else. I was getting information from people in their 20s saying, I had no idea the hip was a big thing. I, I, they're just some band to me. There were other people I saw on social media, like people of color who are saying, I'm really moved by what's happening, but I also feel really excluded by it. And what I want to point yeah. out here is that if you said that about anyone else, Drake defines us. People say it all the time. Right. You people are ex- say that all the time. So when you say that, there are a lot of people who are rolling their eyes and saying, not me. If you were to say, Anne Murray defines us as Canadians, that might mean something to some people. And that's fine. That's legitimate for those people. But you are asserting that on a bunch of people who are saying, not me. It doesn't define. Look, so this, I'm, is, this is Canada. Yeah. This is our prime minister six months ago said we're a post-nationalist country. Yeah. There are 640 native bands here with distinct cultures. In this city that we're living what in. What does the hip mean? There are 500. There are 500 groups that speak more than a thousand language yeah. speakers. Then there's English and there's French. And then there's 10 provinces with very distinct identities. There's not going to be a Canadian identity the way there can be an English identity. And yet we pick one of them and assert it over everyone else because the hip doesn't mean much to French Canada. It doesn't mean much to First Nations. It doesn't mean much. See, I disagree. To, to, I think the meaning of it comes with the resonance and the resonance that is felt by people. And that's actually that's but actually why do more you need powerful. to say that? What is this fascism of feeling? Isn't it enough to say this was really meaningful to me? And Did I had you just called the tragically being a tragically hip fan the fascism of feeling. I'm saying what happened <laughs> during mean, that concert was a <laughs> it was an assertion of dominance. 
And not even on like an economic or a political level, but on like a romantic sentimental level. Like my feelings about Canada, Trump, they define Canada. My songs define Canada. My connection to this band defines Canada. Nobody gets to say that their shit defines Canada. I think you're really, really overreading the Canadianness of this thing. I mean, to get out and wave a That's flag around because you're one proud of, the people, of it. I can't, I can't it's not the remember. same as saying you're you're dominant to turn this into some kind Are of statement. Are you denying that this became dominance? this nationalistic uh, exercise? One of the guys who was brought onto the CBC to talk about his feelings about the hip actually said like, my name is Joe Blow, Canadian. Gord Downey used this to say, we have a major crisis in the North. To his credit, that's amazing. Um, and so I, let me get this and, and straight. We, the we, only part you like is the part where he says we have problems. You are very Canadian, Jason. <laughs> the only part you, the only part of his thing that you approve of is the victim part. No, I approve of. I mean, you approve m- of my approval having cancer, and and you approve of him talking about national catastrophe. Wow. No, I loved the show. I mean, I, I approve of the triumph of the human spirit that was on display to those who appreciate and cared for that. What I feel like was sort of lost in that was the two-thirds of the country that didn't tune in who are free to not care about that if they don't want to. And and to have everybody... I don't national- think anybody said that the two-thirds of Canadians who did not watch The Tragically Hip were not Canadian. I don't think anyone said that. No, we were just saying that that we, as like middle-aged white guys, were kind of more Canadian than them. I just I think, think that was kind of right there. Incredibly pushing it because, like, the thing is, where was the actual statement of dominance? Maybe it's just that I'm coming from like having just seen Trump rallies. That seems like the subtext to a subtext to a subtext. There are a couple couple other things to be said about that about the hip show. One, I think, is that. Uh, the CBC was at its very best during that broadcast. My problems with the pre-show notwithstanding, the broadcast was offered on all platforms. They showed us what they could yeah. and should be. No ads. They didn't brand the hell out of it, at least not during the thing. Yeah. It was offered not only for live stream on the CBC shitty video player, but through a YouTube stream that anyone could watch. It was not geoblocked, so Canadians around the world can and did tune in. Yeah. I don't know if that was the hip demanding those terms, and I think you have to give them credit either way. But what I hope people kind of take from that and run with and the CBC sees is that they're always so worried about their brand. What do people think about that? There's nothing better they can do for their brand than be a public broadcaster in the truest, purest sense of it as they were that night. This was the easy part. You know you've got an immense market. It's not really hard to figure out what to do here. It's just a question of doing it as well as you can. And they did a great job. They did. But, you know, they they would have made, I think, millions of dollars in sponsorship had they somehow monetized that. And they didn't. And I don't know if they, you know, were shackled by the hip from doing that or what, but they didn't. And, And that was fantastic. And it's amazing how much shittiness gets forgotten when you have a moment where you're like, wow, thank you. Thank you for yeah. doing that for well, us. Well, exactly. And it's like, why do we actually need this institution? And it's mm-hmm. like, we really actually need it for these kind of moments. That was a rare event, but you they know, do we happen. Don't, we may not need it for Heartland. <laughs> we need it for this. Okay, Stephen, now uh, we are going to do something that we've been doing on this show called uh, Duly Noted, which I think this is your first time here for. Well, Gawker died. Yeah. Gawker died. It's really actually very bad. Yeah. America's poor right now. People scoff at that and they say this sleazy gutter mag that outed gay people, good riddance, yep. karma's a bitch. Tom Skoka wrote, I think, a powerful piece about why that's bullshit. I don't think you have to look very hard. Like it costs a, a billionaire about $10 million to shut down something that was critiquing him. That's how much it costs Yeah, to shut down a media organization. So 
Good luck. Skoka's point, and I think that there's things like the Hulk Hogan take that Gawker did, which are indefensible. Indefensible. And this happens in media all the time in, in matters large and small. The New York Times, for example, helped to build the case, uh, a fraudulent case for the Gulf War that right. Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. So Hulk Hogan sex tape, tomato, tomato. But um, in the case of the Times, they either are publicly censured or somebody apologizes or sometimes there's a lawsuit that gets settled and you move on. And, mm-hmm. and, and we accept that legacy media has the ability to make a mistake, yes. or, sometimes in a dis- very destructive way. The, uh, the amazing thing about Gawker new media- was not afforded that. No. And new media dies. That's the thing that's fascinating about it. Like you think like, oh, new media has it. Oh, of course, they're going to outlive these old newspapers and all these and old things. They don't. They die all the time. Yeah. They die like flies. And Gawker worked and Gawker made money. But Gawker yeah. made a lot of money. Yeah. And it just got annihilated. With a lot of these internet... I mean, dis- what's really scary about it, just to add one thing, yeah. is what's happening to the editor. What's happening to Delario. What's happening to... Uh, well, they're pursuing him to the ends of the earth. Yeah, I mean, right. the guy's in Florida in with and- his... You know, he offered to send them his uh, steam cooker. Uh-huh. His lawyer said to send a letter to Teal's lawyer saying, would you like his kitchen utensils forward to you? You know, this is like... Like, because uh, he has no money. The personal liability of journalists is a big issue. There's also just like a scary uncharted territory here. I covered so many stories about suppression of information on the internet, and usually the upshot is any powerful person who tries to shut down information on the internet, there's a Streisand effect and just, a, you know, a hundred other versions of it pop up. But in this case, the way that Teal engineered this, it's not like there are a hundred other gawkers. People like to think that gawker is indicative of some type of internet where there's just like, oh, there's a million of these sites with this garbage. It's easy to print all kinds of garbage on the internet. Gawker actually did journalism. They had different standards than a lot of other people, yeah. but they did not create a model, even though it was a functioning model, that a lot of other people had success replicating. You need someone like Denton. Like the thing about Denton is that he was not afraid and he was also able to do new media while being able to hire lawyers. Yeah. That's the whole key. It's easy to get a website. Sure. You need to be able to pay a lawyer. Yeah. That's the actual standard that keeps you from crossing over from doing nothing to doing something. We all have these rights, but the ability to actually exercise them. Yes, of course. Yeah. Duly noted. Duly noted. I feel like there are a number of things that I should duly note, not because they're too small for us to speak about at length, but because they're too big. Has it been a big, big August? Or there's, there's just so much to talk about. I don't remember about. an August this busy my whole life. It's crazy. And we're kind of like... Um, we got a backlog of huge stories that I should dedicate an episode or two. And I'm just like, I just want everyone to know we haven't forgotten them. You can read about them a little bit on our website. The CBC and Evan Solomon are being sued by a uh, Iranian refugee who claims that he was outed by a CBC documentary about gay life in Iran against his will, which led to him being beaten, sodomized, basically losing his freedom, his uh, all of his opportunities, and now he's a refugee in Canada suing the CBC, and he's named Evan Solomon in the suit, who is the host of that show. The documentary said, oh, these guys all consented to us using their faces, and he says that's not the case. That is a really troubling story. Yep. We're going to be looking further at that. Everyone will remember the tragedy in the Toronto Star newsroom, the suicide of Ravina Alak. Yeah. A big investigation by former Canada Land reporter, current Financial Post reporter, Sean Craig, came out in the Financial Post last week. We did a bit of a kind of pulled the big points from that. You read Sean's piece for sure. If you want a condensed version, read ours. But this is still developing and we're looking at it. New York Times is moving into Canada. Yep. That's, I think, a trend that we're just going to see more and more of these big news brands look at our market and say, this market's being underserved and the same constraints that stopped us from bringing a print product don't apply online. 
I think we're going to see a lot of that. A lot of big things. Uh, mm-hmm. so this is almost like a fall preview. These are not duly noted topics. Here's a duly noted topic, okay? Yeah. The Toronto Star ran a piece last week by uh, editor Marina Jimenez. Yeah, okay. friend of mine. Okay. I uh, did not know that, but uh, <laughs> I'll understand if you want to sit this out. I'm going to duly note this piece. Nice piece about a cave diver who takes her craft to new depths. Laudatory piece about this uh, this cave diver. So this cave diver, Jill Heinerth, is the inaugural explorer in residence for the Royal Canadian Geographic Society. Uh-huh. You know, it was a fluffy piece about this uh, this explorer who is a fellow at the Royal Canadian Geographic Society. Who is the CEO of the Royal Canadian Geographic Society? Marina Jimenez's husband. Right. John Geiger. So what's your... <laughs> you've had dealings with him before. I have. Yeah, yeah. There's no disclosure yeah. in the piece. And John Geiger, people will remember, because Paul Watson resigned from the Toronto Star. Paul Watson, Pulitzer Prize winning. Paul Watson resigned from the Toronto Star because he says he was forbidden to investigate John Geiger when some pretty troubling stuff came up around John Geiger, Stephen Harper, and the Franklin Expedition. He was told, he says, by Michael Cook, you are not to ask questions about John Geiger. He said, uh, on principle, that's not okay with me, and he left. And we were left with this question of why would the Toronto Star be protecting John Geiger from an investigation? And there was even a whisper campaign about Paul Watson's sanity. You know, oh, he's making these crazy connections and thinks that there's some crazy conspiracy where the Toronto Star would somehow shield John Geiger. So I feel like when John Geiger's wife writes a piece that is in line with the ambitions in the press of the Royal Canadian Geographic Society and there's no disclosure, it's just something that I wanted to... Uh, you're just like, you're like a spider webbing these, weaving these webs down the thing. I'm too close to all these people to comment, but like, don't you think it's more like when you have a story idea because you talk to your wife and you hear about a story? That happens to me all the time. Right. That I, I'm talking to my aunt and my aunt tells me some story and then I go write about it. Wouldn't it be like, oh, that's an interesting story. I'll go do that. Oh, I Not, t- I'm going to fit this into the nefarious press strategy of there's nothing nefarious Royal, about Royal it. Canadian I'm Geographic. sure you're totally right I, I I assume innocence like I don't assume that there's some nefarious conspiracy I, right. I, I assume that this was like oh I'll write about this because it's interesting and then I have to ask well these are intelligent people who understand how the profession works where you have to say like oh but honey I'm actually giving press to your organization so there's probably a conflict thing here. So I either have to like disclose or not do it, or maybe somebody else could write the article. I don't know. How do you write a puff piece about your spouse's wow. stuff? Duly noted. Okay, this is time on the show for our second sponsor, ShipStation. When you're selling online, your customer reviews can make or break your business, Stephen. So <laughs> it's important to keep your customers happy by shipping out your orders quickly. That is why you need ShipStation. We were talking to all the people in these burgeoning ma and pa online businesses. Like people ship stuff and they make a living off of it. But I should use that for my Stephen Marsh t-shirts. That's my it. branded merch that I'm selling. When people come to your vanity website and they <laughs> yeah. want to get a, a t-shirt of that photo. My branded Chewing tobacco. Whether you're selling those t-shirts and chewing tobacco on Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, BigCommerce, WooCommerce, wherever you sell, ShipStation just sort of takes all the orders in, figures out the cheapest way to ship the thing, and like spits out a label for you. It imports your orders. It makes it really easy to manage everything, whether you, you know, Canada Post, UPS, FedEx, whatever. And the reviews that they're getting are fantastic. Shopify users gave them a five out of five, a perfect score. They are the number one choice for online sellers. And... 
they have a special offer right now for our listeners. You can try it for free for 30 days. And if you go and use the offer code CANDALAND, there's a special bonus offer. So check it out. Do not wait. Go to shipstation.ca. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in CANDALAND. How long have we waited to hear this video? How many years. years has it been? When did it break? 2014? 2013? Let's hear what the man said in that video. I'm not going to leave that. I like to get that fucking Justin Trudeau and shove my foot as far up his ass because I'm sure yeah. it goes real far. Yeah, I'm sure my fucking, I'll tickle his fucking nose hairs with my foot she's up his ass because he's such a fucking shit digger, man. She's a fat, I hate Trudeau, man. She's just saying. Fucking bullshit. There's no way of telling what the hell. I mean, he's just gone. Oh, he's just gone. To quote somebody even... It's incomprehensible. As Robin Doolittle has since said, like, yeah, you can't listen to that and say he, that he called Justin Trudeau a fag. You can't listen no, to that. No, it was the other guy. Well, I think it was a woman. Uh, who, who said that, that was also misreported uh, originally. Um, oh. And uh, fucking minorities, which was... Uh, no, I don't think he says that in any kind of a clear or quotable way. But now that we've seen the Rob Ford video, it's being compared with the original reporting on it by Kevin Donovan and Robin mm -hmm. Doolittle. And, you know, there are some discrepancies, which is not shocking to me. It's worth noting here that in that original report, I think they said he apparently says, it sounds like he says this. Yeah. So they, they, they mitigated a little bit. And if you read about the circumstances, they had three chances to listen to this video. You know, there's, there's context in the video provided by the off-camera voice. And then the people showing the reporters the video were apparently saying, oh, this is where he calls Justin Trudeau a fag. Right. And then you watch it three times. You're not allowed to take notes. I totally understand how they got that wrong. Some people are saying, no, this is still the press trying to take four down. And this was an obvious lie. And I find that like completely ludicrous to think that this was a conscious, uh, deliberate lie because like the chances of the video ultimately coming out as it has were always very high. Yeah. Although it's amazing how long it took. Yeah. It is amazing. You know, in the information wants to be free environment, it's incredible that I did not see this on some shadow YouTube site. It is, I guess, still possible to control certain kinds of information if you want. Yeah. It is not as bad as we thought it was. That is definitely true. Although it's still, that should be the mayor. Right. right. You know, like. So what does it matter? I guess a lot of people are like, who cares what he said in that state of total stoned stupor? Well, I think it was consequential that it was misreported. The fact that Ford, You really think so? I well, mean, it seems pretty small to me, the misreporting. No, uh, you know, and, and some of the same people who are thinking that it was a, a, a vast conspiracy by uh, Donovan and Doolittle to defraud the public, which I think is ludicrous, did a fine job of documenting why it mattered. And specifically, uh, a tweeter named Alan Sorensen went through all of the iterations online of people repeating the misinformation of Ford called Trudeau a fag. Right. And how that went from, oh, it sounds like he called him a fag to, oh, yeah, he called him a fag. Right. That got picked up, repeated. It became part of the onslaught of criticism against Ford. The video was only a part of an ongoing train wreck, right? It sort of gets lost, like, how many horrible things he said. It was like, oh, did he specifically say Justin Trudeau is a fag? Like, that seems to be lost in the thousands of things he said that were totally inappropriate. If it didn't matter, then how come it got repeated so many times? I think that there was a, an aspect of that where he's always said things that were, you know, crass. Well, I mean, I think but for him to specifically like, say homophobic and racist things, it's always been weird, even when he's sort of old school racist thinking that he's complimenting, oh, Asians work like dogs. But this is like fucking minorities. Like here, proof, Ford hates minorities. He never said it. Right. That has to matter. Like the facts have to matter, right? 
I think facts have to matter, but there's one fact and then there's thousands of facts. The incorrectness of two little facts don't change the thousands no, of facts. No, they don't. No, they don't. That are there. But I think that when you look at the response of those two reporters, Doolittle says, now that I can really watch this in a different environment, it's clear that he didn't say that in any way that we could have reported. Yes. Donovan says, yep, I've seen it now a few more times, and I and that's what he says. Right. That kind of like digging in of the heels, you know, it's not consistent with the job. Of course not. I mean, like, you know, if you're in newspapers, you're going to make factual mistakes. Like, that's just part of the job. Like, there are going to be mistakes. That's why they're correction pages. And especially in newspapers that are not fact-checked, that's just an inevitable part of the business. I, and I think they haven't actually corrected it yet. Kathy English, I think, basically recognized everything that we just said. But the original reporting still stands. The Joe Warmingtons of the world are out there saying that uh, everyone owes the Ford family a big apology, right, all these sure. journalists, which is a bit rich considering all of the things that Ford said about journalists that were uh, really putting their reputations uh, on the line well, during exactly. the time. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't want to be Robin Doolittle or Kevin Donovan receiving whatever torrent of threats and abuse they got from Ford supporters during that whole episode, largely based on Ford saying that this was all a media invention. So right. maybe technically an apology is, uh, is warranted, but like... The world's smallest apology. I guess so. You know, in the furor of this happening, things, of course, are going to go wrong. There were lots of opportunities for the Ford family to clarify. And they didn't. The responsibility goes both ways, I think. One of the things that surprised me when the video was finally released was this widespread response, and not just among Ford supporters saying, this is trashy. Why did you publish this video? The man's dead. Have some respect. And I thought like, wow, there's just no question from a journalistic point of view that that video had to be published as soon as it was possible to do so. Of course. There's just no question that the subject of one of the biggest news stories in Canadian history, the content of which was deeply disputed, you show the first, the primary source document. And among the public, there was a lot of people saying, why? Yeah. Well, we have to fight through those people. The public interest, I think, is indisputable. Like, it's a former mayor with a video of him doing an illegal drug. Yeah. It has all sorts of implications for our relationship to our police force and to our mayoralty and to our city. This is not... It's an obvious How can this this be a debate? Like, there's no... Like, if you're not going to report anything unsavory because it's unsavory, then that just gives powerful people the license to do things that are unconscionable. I, I think that, like, where the schism lies is this idea that we have taste or that we make decisions based on whether it's tasteful or not. When it comes to informing people that like, is this a vulgar thing to release this video is even a consideration. Like that's not the job at all. No, I've never understood the idea that journalists are supposed to be like running a ballet, like picking things that are appropriate. Like that's not the nature of this game. Like that's not the way that this works. Like the way that this works is you actually get ideas out in the public. You bring really uncomfortable things in front of the public. That's the whole point. And it's why we're consistently ranked somewhere with uh, used car salesmen. And uh... Yeah, but that's fine because people always hate any group that they need. That's why they hate lawyers. That's why they hate doctors. That's why they hate journalists. Like, you know, any group that they don't have control over that they need, people automatically hate for obvious reasons. But that doesn't mean you don't go and do your job. Stephen, thank you. Pleasure. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at any time. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. And we are on Twitter at Canadaland. Stephen, where can people find you? 
You can find me at uh, at Stephen Marsh at Twitter, and they can find me at www.stephenmarsh.com, where I'm selling uh, T-shirts and chewing tobacco. Check out the photo; it's very alluring. <laughs> Our website is CanadaLandShow.com, not CanadaLand.pizza. Our crowdfunding site is Patreon.com/slash CanadaLand. The next episode of CanadaLand will be out on Monday, and a new episode of The Imposter will be out on Wednesday. Kevin Sexton is the producer of this show. Syndication of Canada Land to campus and community radio across this country is handled by Russell Gragg. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a campside media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.